Good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, joining us once again here on our last day of the 2023 Sloan Sports and Analytics Conference, uh, braving some weather this morning. So we all appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, we are very excited to have this uh, creating an NFL player tracking metric presented by ESPN. We've got uh, three great panelists slash moderators up here to help with this conversation today. First, we have Seth Walder, who's an analytics writer at ESPN. We have Brian Burke, the data scientist at ESPN. And we have Allison Laux, who's the director of business development and innovation at ESPN. Um, so similar to how we've been doing panels all, all weekend, it will be about 45 minutes for the panel discussion, we leave about 10 minutes at the end for uh, audience Q&A. If you want to submit a question, please do so via Twitter at the hashtag player tracking metric. Uh, I'll be monitoring that, and we'll uh, submit some questions at the end for these guys to answer. And so with that, Allison, uh, take it away. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Max. Uh, yes, so Max gave a, a good introduction, but I can provide a little more uh, depth on uh, what Seth and, and Brian do for our team. Uh, up here, we are like 30% of the ESPN analytics team. Um, Brian is our kind of lead data scientist, uh, has done just a tremendous amount of work. I mean, he is a, a, a seasoned veteran of this conference. Uh, some, some refer to him as the godfather of football analytics. Um, but he's, you know, done a, a ton of work, uh, not just in the NGS space, but with win probability models and expected points. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, he's just fantastic. And then Seth has been our analytics writer for several years. Um, is you know fabulous certainly in the football space NFL especially and has done a, a great job using the NGS metrics that uh, Brian and team have built to tell a, a bunch of great stories and you know really it, at ESPN that, I mean, that is our goal like we we are telling stories you know we're not working for teams we're not trying to, to win championships per se so really our goal is to engage and entertain the fans and for those of you know who watch get up, first take, sports center, like, we cover the NFL extensively nonstop all year long. So the, the appetite for content is just insatiable. And, you know, having this type of, of analytics content has really been a, a boon um, to help drive and um, improve discussions. And, you know, with, um, with all of that, you know, the NFL Next Gen Stats, just creating just a, a great suite of metrics that tell tremendous stories. And today we're going to take you through the end-to-end -end process of building a metric um, through the prism of our newest offering, which is our receiver tracking metrics. Let's switch to the offensive side for this. ESPN Analytics introduced its new receiver tracking metric this season that measures receivers' ability to get open, make catches, and get yards after the catch using player tracking data. So far this season, A.J. Brown has the highest overall score of any wide receiver or tight end, and by a significant margin, Brown's 86 is five points higher than the next closest player in Travis Kelsey. Just really cool to see as these analytics are, are kind of coming to fruition here. So, Marcus, how... <laughs> All right, so, spoiler alert, uh, that was about midway through the season. A.J. Brown did end up finishing the season as the most, uh, the, the best receiver in RTM. And we're going to have some, um, you know, some visuals to, to help through the process here. So, Seth, why don't you give us, uh, we, got, we have uh, an A.J. Brown clip here, gets the Cowboys. 
Just give us an idea of what makes him so special. Yeah, so I know we're all nerds here, so no one actually watches the games, but unfortunately, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have to for a minute just to, just to show how this works. Uh, the receiver tracking metrics are built in by three components, open score, catch score, and yak score. And right off the top, we, we wanted to just get into some of the fun stuff, so we figured let's just talk about open score right away. Uh, which is also my personal favorite. The, uh, the idea here is pretty simple, right? Like we're trying to quantify how open a receiver is able to get. And so uh, what I want to show in this first play, it's going to restart in a second. Brown's lined up at the uh, bottom end of the screen. He puts an awesome little move on Trayvon Diggs. He gets, he gets wide open, makes the catch. It's a big gain, explosive play. Uh, I think everyone agrees it's an, he's open, right? Uh, and for the model, I think it's a very easy play to figure out that he's open. Uh, if we can go to the next, go to the dots. This is where we're more comfortable. Uh, Seth loves yeah. his dots. Oh, okay, now it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like, this is what the model's seeing, right? And, and it's e I say it's like easy mode for the model because uh, at the time of throw, there's tons of separation for, between Brown and Diggs. At the time of the ball arrival, there's tons of separation between Brown and Diggs. Diggs is, I mean, Brown is, is past him. Like, it's not, I, I don't think it's hard not to limit what Brian does. In this case, it's not hard, I think, to say, uh, to have a model determine, yeah, that, that guy's open. Uh, but it's not always like that. So if we can go to the next play. So here, uh, Brown is lined up again, bottom of the screen. This is fourth and four. And he runs, he fakes a little fade, and then he, and he cuts inside, runs a slant, converts the first down. In this case, he doesn't have separation. Like at the time of the ball arrival, the defender is close to him. He's within, it's like a yard and a half or so. But Brown is wide open. He has all the leverage on the defender here. Um, so we, we know that in the NFL, that, that counts as open. There was a lane for the ball to be thrown. Brown, you could throw the ball so that it was not going to be contested. And, and, and again, I say the separation was not there. Here's the point where I think we can, we can say, okay, how does the model think about this? If we look at this as at the time of throw, see where Brown is and see where, see where the defender is, they're super close to each other. But where, which direction are they facing? Brown is facing uh, the quote-unquote right way, where the ball is going to go, and the defender is close to him but out of position. This was a key component. We've seen separation before, but we needed to be able to say yeah. what is open. It's a different thing, and this right here is a player who's open without separation. Can you yeah. the next one? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, no, the key, key takeaway there is, you know, this is XY data, so it's very, it's very tempting to just, you know, use a Pythagorean theorem and say, Here, here's the separation between the receiver and the closest defender, but, but be, we all know that being open is much, much more complicated. So, oh, and I should mention, so those first two plays, they both received super high open scores, quote unquote, from the model. So that in both cases, the model was saying, uh, yeah, he was wide open, even though it was totally different. On this play, Brown is lining up in the slot to the right of the quarterback. He's not targeted, but this was another key component. We needed to be able to quantify a receiver's ability to get open, whether or not they were targeted, right? And so on this play, if you just watch Brown, you see he does his job. Now, 
there was a much better option for the quarterback. Quarterback made the right read. Uh, the receiver's wide open who, who gets the target. But for Brown, all we can ask of him is, did he get open? And in this play, he does. He runs a little hitch route. Uh, you can see, and he, at the time of throw, you, we can tell that he's open. Can we do the next? This is, again, at the time of throw. And I love this one. Like, it, it's the same thing where uh, you can see that 11 is Brown, right? And see how he's faced in where he's, where he's going to uh, run the little hitch. And the defender is running the other way. And, and Brown is also, um, he's powered down at, already where the defender has not, Kyler Gordon. Like, Brown at this moment, Brown is going 4.6 miles per hour. And Gordon is going... 10.3. So he's, so it's like the model is anticipating that separation that's going to come. And so that, in this case, uh, though you do get extra credit for being targeted in the model, in this case, the model is saying, hey, this is a very open receiver, even if he's untargeted. Quick point, too, is we look at, we look at this before pass release. So we look at it 0.2 yeah. seconds before release. Because, especially in zone coverages, defenders can anticipate where the target's going to go, and they collapse on the targeted. On the, and that, that also leaves the untargeted receivers open. So we're actually we're analyzing the picture prior to pass release so that the model does not get confused by that. Yep. Okay, one more. We're on a play where Brown doesn't get open and where you could easily imagine a model getting tricked and thinking that he is. So he's at the bottom of the screen here. Uh, there's some kind of miscommunication on this play. We're not, you're not entirely sure because it looks like Brown should get open. Can we go to the dots? I think that they're, they're better here. So, like, this is at the time of throw. And if you just showed this picture, it would look like Brown's open. I think that's why we need, we, uh, to me, I think, why the model is so useful is you can't just look at this picture here without knowing the extra information, which is how fast are these guys going? Right now, at this moment here, Brown's going nine miles an hour, Cam Dantzler, and three is going 13. And the, it's not just how fast are they going, but the trajectory they're moving. Dantzler is coming faster, and he's going to be able to get in front of undercutting Brown. And so he's able to break up the pass, which is exactly what he does. And so the model at this point, like in this case, the first three plays, it all identified Brown as being uh, very open and targeted, very open and targeted, very open, untargeted. In this case, it's saying, He's not open at all, even though it looks like he has leverage at, at this moment. That is kind of open score in a nutshell. All right. Well, it's good, uh, good tease. We'll, uh, we'll come back and close the loop on our RTMs in a bit. But first, a uh, little, little, little bit of a history lesson, a, a, a journey through time. Uh, you know, RTMs came out in uh, October of 2022. And it's you know really kind of the the culmination of a six six year journey, um, and goes long before that. You know, as mentioned before, like the appetite for deep NFL analysis is it's insatiable. Uh, you know, Brian's talked about how we kind of maxed out on what could be done with basic play by play data, and you know, there's lots of other manually tracked video tracked data that's helped kind of. Keep us, keep us along. Uh, but then in 2017, uh, ESPN, with our uh, agreement with the NFL, was able to get our, our hands on the NGS data for the first time. And Brian, what, what, what was that like? Uh, it, was, it was more of a problem than anything. Uh, <laughs> we, we literally didn't know which way was up. Like, it, it was an avalanche of data. As a media partner in 2017, we got access to all the data. And uh, it, it was, it's a lot of X's and Y's. And uh, we didn't know which, 
with the long side of the field, the X, you know, which is, is 360 degrees going up the field or to the right sideline. We didn't even know those things. So we had to explore that, figure all that out. So it, I mean, it took almost half a season just to get our arms around the data. Um, and then we started doing some very rudimentary things with it. At the time, it was quite frustrating. It, was, it had only been used for things like max speed on a play or total distance traveled on a play. But we knew we needed to get a lot more sophisticated. I think also like in that time, so like Brian does all the hard work, you know, and then I get to take his work and, and do fun stuff with it. <laughs> and so at the time, I was also thinking like, okay, we got this data, like let's go. And then it was had that sort of same like, whoa, we gotta wait and see what what the heck we're doing here. And and the NFL, which has done a lot of great work uh, developing metrics as well, like they had a, they had a long way to go, just like us, right? They're 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 figuring things out. I think the irony is that. I'm thinking back, like, what was I using the player tracking data for in the, the very first year, the very beginning? And I think, ironically, I was using it uh, to watch more, more film than any ever before. Because, like, the, the yeah. nice thing, and this is a benefit of player tracking data, is that you can create efficiencies. I could just very simply query, I want to look at uh, all the times when Kirk Cousins rolled out left, play action, threw downfield, and it's just boom, 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 boom. And you could watch plays much easier filtering down on very specific criteria. But it took a little while before we were developing like metrics that I think were really adding analysis. And then we kind of, you know, Brian had been working with the data and we were kind of coming up on the end of the, the 2017 season thinking about, hey, like what, you know, now we have better idea what this data is, like let's start talking about what we wanna, what we wanna use it for and kind of going around to the, the different stakeholders across, across ESPN, and certainly at the time, you know, Monday Night Football is our, our, biggest, uh, our biggest product, uh, I guess, our just biggest product overall, but especially uh, when it comes to the NFL. And at the time, um, John Gruden was uh, one of our analysts, and, you know, not, not the biggest stat numbers guy, but he kind of threw out like an offhand comment. He's like, you know what, you know what we need? We need an O-lineman ERA. That was the exact quote, O-lineman ERA. I was like, all right, like, that's, we, we might be able to, to work with that. And then, you know, we kind of uh, just wound Brian up and <laughs> <laughs> no, got, yeah. got, got it going. Yeah, no, it didn't, yeah, I mean, we, at the time when, when, when John Gruden asked for that, we were like, well, we will never be able to do that. So <laughs> that's impossible. Stop asking for things like that. And, but it, 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 it points, points out that there's, there's this huge lack of like, concrete metrics for, for linemen. They, they were you know, things like pressure allowed, pressures allowed, sacks allowed, things like that. But we ultimately discovered through the tracking data that those more or less conventional metrics weren't very helpful, weren't really telling the whole story. Um, so you know, the first thing we developed was our, our pass rush and pass block win rates, and it was actually quite accidental, and actually goes back to receivers. We were uh, asked by researchers over and over and over again, who was the closest defender on this pass? Who was the closest defender? How much separation did they have on when the ball arrived? And so I just wrote this script that just automated all of this so I wouldn't have to keep doing it over and over and over, and I just, you know, drew a visualization to just kind of sanity check that I was getting the closest players. And I realized it was uh, illustrating all the blocks, like who was blocking who. Because naturally, the person you're blocking is more, more likely to be very close to you than not. So I, was, I thought that was just cool. 
just now we know who blocks who on each play, who's getting double teamed, and, and so on. Um, and then it really just was a short step from there to uh, pass block win rate, where we, we thought, well, if you can get your shoulder pads past the blocker's shoulder pads, that's a pass rush win, and vice versa. So there's a time component to it all. Um, so by the by the end of the first season that we had the data, I think we, we had a really viable product. Yeah, and we had the, you know, it was a really good storyline to go along with it that really helped to sell the oh, merits right. of it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So uh, immediately we noticed uh, Joe Thomas, uh, soon to be or already. Yeah, he's, already, he's just, yeah. you got on the first Late, ballot. Yeah, first ballot Hall of Fame, left tackle for the Browns. And his final season, I think, was 2017. And he was, what, like 53rd in uh, sacks allowed or pressures allowed, something like that. But he was third in pass block win rate. And we're like, wait, OK, so our metric is broken. You go to the film, you watch the film, and you realize, oh, no, he, he's doing a great job. He's doing as good a job as he's always done. It's just his quarterback was Deshaun Kaiser at the time, and he would hold on to the ball for seven seconds and then get sacked. And you can't expect any lineman to sustain a block that long. So we're, we're starting to, to, to gain insights right away. That was a real game changer from a content standpoint. Like, I, as someone that writes about football, using numbers, is the trenches were such a such a black box, really. I mean, it was just hard to be able to write and write confidently, have these quantitative-based opinions based on what we had. And all of a sudden, we had this number, uh, pass block win rate, that we could use to actually look at these offensive linemen. So I started spending like an inordinate, like a, <laughs> a very disproportionate amount of my working time was about offensive linemen to probably push it too far. It's like every once in a while, it's like, you know, people do like reading about quarterbacks, okay? Uh, but, but, but the tackles were really, really interesting. And the thing about ESPN is it's a big place, right? I guess it's true in the world anyway, but it's like you can't just create a metric and expect everybody's going to use it. The thing was is that so we, had to, we did a lot of internal work, uh, which I think you have to do at a, at, a, at a place like ESPN to show everyone, hey, here's this new thing. Here's why it's better. Here's what it could do. Here's what we, here's what we couldn't do before that we now can. Uh, but there was this like darth of uh, offensive line metrics. And so people did start to glom onto those. And it was, I mean, I think that's like one of our greatest successes where what makes me happiest is like when uh, a tackle gets signed to a free agent deal. And I know we don't have to do anything, but if you go to the article on ESPN.com, it's going to say, like, oh, yeah, he was ninth in pass block win rates among tackles last year when he was playing for so-and-so. And, and that's, that is a game changer. So uh, that was a good one. Well, yeah, and then, you, you know, flip it. You talk about offensive linemen, but certainly like, we provide the defensive perspective, too. Yeah. So guys on the front seven, pass rushing, you know, we were able to – go a step further and, you know, at that point, sacks was pretty much the only stat that we'd have to quantify a defense, you know, defensive lineman or a linebacker. But now with this, like, you're able to show, um, you know, that, you know, not only does Aaron Donald get a lot of sacks, but, like, he's an absolute beast when it comes to pass <laughs> rush win rate. <laughs> yeah. Sacks are a quarterback stat, remember. <laughs> Don't forget. Uh, so... That was in 2018, we had the initial rollout of, of win rates. And then, you know, fast forward, 2022, when we have the, the receiver tracking metrics. 
So yeah. what was in between? Yeah, like what, <laughs> what have you been doing for the last four years besides sitting on your hands? Allison's my boss. <laughs> what have you been doing? Uh, okay, think fast, think fast. What was I doing? Um, so, <clears throat> so we made this uh, uh, long list of th things we would like to do with the tracking data. Um, and a lot of them weren't like, like super interesting. There, there would just be like classification models that would help us do other analysis in, in much better way. So we did things like a, a, a coverage classification model. So we could tell, you know, cover two from a man one. And so we could apply coverage labels to every single play. We could do it instantly live during games. We were providing uh, live updates to the, to the researchers supporting the broadcast booth who could, you know, during the game, in game, uh, discuss you know the splits between man and zone yards per attempt for each quarterback if you, if you if that was an interesting thing to, to talk about um, and then once we had that we moved on to route classification so we built a route classification model um, and those became essential components of the receiver tracking metrics so you need to have that, that kind of context if you really want to do a good job uh, telling a story about how a receiver makes a catch, gets a touchdown, and so on. So those, those are kind of classification models that you know, we, we didn't you know, necessarily write a Sloan paper about or anything, but were, were very useful to us, and I think very helpful to, to make smarter fans. And those became key uh, cornerstones of receiver tracking. And like, to be clear, useful content in and of themselves. Like, I think very much we want to be able to say, well, how does this guy do on post routes or this quarterback against Tampa 2 or whatever, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, think so. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it otherwise existed. Like, you know, the teams are ch charting these things themselves, obviously. Um, there's companies that chart these things. But often, you have to wait until Wednesday to... For, for all the data to get out. Maybe Tuesday is when the All-22 uh, used to be released. So we could do this you know, instantaneously during games. And uh, you know, we didn't need a, an army of, of video charters to, to be able to do it. So it served, served a lot of needs. All right, so now here we are and with our receiver tracking metrics. So I don't know if Seth, if you want to Take us, take us through yeah. the, uh, the, the remaining attributes here. So like the thing that Brian did that I love from a content perspective, but I think it, it actually really does help is that what he wanted to do was break down not just who is the best receiver, but let's quantify these different skills. Quarter, receiver skill is based on a variety of things. Like we talked about open score, uh, how well can you get open? How well can you make the catch? How well can you generate yards after catch? All three of those things. Uh, can describe different ways a receiver can have strengths and weaknesses. And certainly plenty are good at two and bad at one or, or vice versa. So we talked about open score. Uh, let's talk about catch score here. I think the first thing that we think, when you think of when like, we think of a receiver's ability to make the catch is like what you're gonna see on these plays here, which is like just amazing catches. This is a George Pickens one. Uh, like deep down the sideline, defenders all over him, makes an incredible, incredible grab. All, all four of these plays are going to have uh, what we'll say are really high catch over predicted scores. Um, and so that is definitely a skill, and we are, are trying to quantify like, okay, how can you make these contest, crazy contested catches? They don't have to be crazy, but in this, in this case, these are all crazy because they receive like the highest scores. Um, it's not everything though, Brian, right? Like, 
Can, can you explain the predicted versus expected factor? Uh, yeah, I'll explain. So. <laughs> I ask him because yeah. this part still confuses me. So, well, first of all, underneath underneath the hood, what we're doing, what's going on in this metric is we're we're applying uh, something called a p position invariant convolutional neural network. Uh, it, it was an architecture that uh, first developed by Michael Horton, and he did a, a paper on it here at Sloan a number of years ago, and it's an incredibly useful. Um, widely useful and flexible architecture for football tracking data. Um, and what it does is basically looks at the dots and you can ask it any question. You can use it, so there was a paper this year that used the, the same architecture, a very, very similar architecture, and said, hey, what is the, what is the coverage on this play? Um, we, in this case, used it to say, what is the probability of a catch? Um, so we can look at that at multiple stages of the play, in this case, we're looking at uh, ball arrival, and we're looking at we're asking two different questions. We're saying, what, what is the uh, catch over predicted? So it's a standard residual analysis. So we make a prediction. Receiver has a 0.75 chance to make this catch, given what we see on the field. He actually makes the catch. Okay, we credit him with that plus uh, 0.25, which is the residual. If he if he doesn't make the catch, we debit him that 0.75, and so on. Um, and the problem was, and this, this really delayed this project, and almost killed the project, because what we're doing is we're uh, accounting for the context on the field. That, that's a lot of what sports analytics is, or, or player uh, valuation is doing, is accounting for the context, how well did the player do. But the, the problem is, is really self-defeating here with receivers, because the receiver himself, like we saw in that first clip with A.J. Brown, is he's creating that context. That, that, that move he made to, you know, to get 10 yards open, well, he made that happen. So do we penalize him for that um, at the time of the catch because it became an easier catch? So we, that problem was just unsolvable for forever. And um, one thing I do when I make these super complicated models with the, with the tracking data, I'll often make a much, much simpler model as a benchmark, just as a sanity check to make sure, hey, is this much more complicated model working? Is it working any better than the simpler model? Uh, so I built this like, much simpler model that looked at the, you know, the coverage, the route, the depth, was it play action, was he lined up in the slot, how far from the sideline, so on, so on, so on, all these different sort of general contextual variables. It said, how likely is the catch at that, at that point, and that was just the sanity check. But then I realized this was the eureka moment. This solved that problem of the receiver generating his own context. So we look at context in a very uh, general way, which is those sorts of variables I just mentioned, and we look at it in a very, very uh, specific contextual way, which is all the dots at ball arrival. And so we can look at those things in different combinations. So that's what Seth meant by predicted and expected. So in, in our language, we say expected is that general context, and predicted is the specific context. And then there became a question of how, which one do we use? Uh, how do we use them? Do we use them in some combination? Uh, ultimately, they were both providing good information about how well a receiver could do. We were benchmarking yards per route run. And they both help predict that for receivers. So ultimately, we did combine them into that's that's what catch score is. It's a combination of those those two uh, those two metrics. If we if we didn't do that, then players like Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay or Terry McLaurin, these like contested catch 
receivers would be benefiting from their inability to create separation before that, right? Like, sort of would say, like, oh, these guys are the best, uh, yeah. but it's only because they put themselves in, like, Allen Robinson didn't get himself open. He didn't get himself in a position. Now he's able to overcome that. There's yeah. still value in it, but it, but it, but it's like mis it's in an, skewing it. In a nutshell, it's like how. It, so there's this metric. Um, Completion probability over expected, which kind of looks at looks at things in a, in a very similar way. It's intended to kind of be a better completion percentage from the perspective of a quarterback. And it's very tempting to turn that around and just say, okay, well, this receiver was targeted on the play. Let, let's apply the same analysis to him. Uh, but that, that's it's what that's doing is asking like, how good is this receiver, given how good he is. And so it, it, it completely broke. So that, that's, that's, what, that's what we were able to solve. And that, that was kind of our breakthrough. So that All was right. catch score. We've got one yes. left. It's the simplest, which is, which is yak score. The idea here is we're, we're looking at uh, all the play positions of the players on the field and looking at how much yak the player generates versus what we should expect based on the situation at the time of catch. A key component here also is the ball placement. So this model is player tracking based, but we supplement it with video tracking work that ESPN does. And so the ball placement itself is pretty critical when you think about yak. Like if the ball is underthrown, the receiver makes the catch, but the ball is underthrown, that might have a significant impact on how much yak we would expect. And we should actually mention that the quarterback themselves is a factor in uh, in all of them, in all the metrics, right, uh, or, or to the last two, all, all no, all, all three open, right. It, 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 tangent here. That's actually one of the more interesting things along the way. We, we you know, obviously, the quarterback plays a huge role in all of these things. And we thought, well, definitely the quarterback's going to play a large role in, in the catch, in the in the catch metric. He's going to play a smaller role in the, in the yak metric based on you know ball accuracy. And then, uh, but certainly, it's the receiver who's getting open or not. You know, it's between the receiver, maybe the, the play design, uh, and how good the, the opponent is. Um, but what we found is that's not true. Um, so in, in order to account for the quarterback in the, in the open metric and the catch metric, we basically ran like an adjusted plus minus of quarterback and receivers over, that spanned multiple seasons. So we had a good mix of quarterback and receivers. And you could see that. Um, quarterbacks consistently had an ability to, for whatever reason, uh, target choice, extending plays, reading the field correctly, uh, could actually help the, re the receivers kind of achieve a better open score. So um, Patrick Mahomes, for example, who, you know, it's, we, we can kind of agree is, is uh, um, you know, very, very, very good quarterback. He's not super accurate. So like when we were accounting for his throws on catch score, he, he was it was pretty average, but he just he just blows it out of the water in open score, and we thought that was really really interesting. Um, it, you know that's that's Mahomes' superpower is that he is however he's doing, and we we can dig more into that and tell great stories about that. Is that he's helping receivers get open in, in certain ways. It could be looking off safeties, it, you know, it could be any number of things. So I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Sorry for the tangent. No, that's no, good. That's, that, that's, I definitely <laughs> wanted to, to get into that. That was probably going to be the first question anyway. How come you don't account for quarterback? 
Okay, so back to back to Debo. Can we roll Debo again here? So you can just see if you look at like when he catches this ball, there's two defenders that could make the tackle. Uh, this isn't like a. I like this one. It's not like a you know 60 yard run here, but you can see like he really doesn't have any business getting more than two or three yards after a catch. But he's able to make the two defenders miss. To me, what's more fun or interesting is like when people fall short, right? Like we can all see when Debo makes a great play. I love Tyler Lockett. He's like my favorite player in the NFL. He's so good at everything except for yards after catch. Uh, he just gives up. He's like, he is resigned to no yak. He's uh, like, maybe it's a strategic choice. I don't know what he's thinking, but he's very consistent. Like he just decides I'm, I'm catching the ball. I'm going down. So like, here's one. We got another one. Roll the next one. This one should be a touchdown, okay? <laughs> he's gonna make this catch. He's got the whole middle of the field, and then he's just like, eh, I'm good. I'll just. Bus business decision. I'll yeah. chill here, I'll chill here. One more, it's like, this one also may be a touchdown, or maybe should be a touchdown. Makes this catch, he should just make this guy miss, and he's got the whole field, and he, he just doesn't. And even he knows this time that was, that was not good. Tyler Lockett is, uh, this is, I think, is a great example of why we need these three components. Like, he's uh, an excellent receiver at getting open. He's really good at making the catch, no matter how, how you measure it. And then, and then he doesn't get any yak. Now, that still makes him an exceedingly valuable receiver. Uh, always, like, Always underrated. I, mean, I know analytics people always love Tyler Rocket. Lockett, maybe he's not under, underrated in this group, but uh, I, I do think he's a perfect example of, of falling short of those expectations, and especially in a sport where, like, we, I, 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 I like these stats because we're always looking at yards from an accounting standpoint, and you, don't, you can go forward but still be doing a worse job than, than you should have done. And, and that's always, whether when we're talking about these, we're talking about um, like some of the NGS metrics, like rush yards over expectation. The idea that you can move the ball forward but you have still done a poor job is important to quantify. And, and I think, I hope, that's what, we're, that's what we're doing here. The Seattle receiver, another tangent, the Seattle receivers and the Denver receivers yeah. tell a really interesting story. So we can apply something like receiver tracking metrics to uh, a, a, a different uh, domain, which is quarterback. So Russell Wilson goes from Seattle to Denver in the offseason in, in, in a big trade and has a terrible year. And um, a lot of criticism is, is heaped on Russell Wilson. I'm, I'm not sure it's not uh, deserved. But RTMs tell a different story. So despite Tyler Lockett's kind of very poor yak score, he's excellent in everything else. And, and DK Metcalf, so Seattle, yep. with or without Wilson, has consistently, their receiving core has consistently been at the top of RTMs. Um, so uh, the, on the other hand, the Denver receivers, uh, Sutton, Judy, yep. they're at the dead last like worst, obviously worse in catch score in particular. And so um, uh, the story about kind of Russell Wilson's um, sudden downfall might be more about his receivers than about, uh, at least partially, uh, than about him. Yeah, I've always like walked carefully on, the, uh, Judy picked it up at the end of the year. He was, he was, he was better, but, he, but I, I, I do always say like, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and Golden Tate made Russell Wilson. But I'm just saying, when he left them, 
it just happened to coincide with, uh, with his with, downfall. And, I mean, and, he also and, had and, injury and, 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 and Geno Smith making the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Oh, right, right. And, and, so and then Geno Smith. A, a career <laughs> journeyman suddenly, yeah, makes the Pro Bowl. So all those things kind of factor together. You, you know, the, the Bayesian in me is kind of like, hey, maybe there's more to the story than just Russell Wilson suddenly stinks. I agree with that. Golden Tate, we go back, so we go back to 2017, 2017. And, and that was the other thing that we know. It was like, so Metcalf obviously wasn't there the whole time, but Golden Tate was, and Golden Tate is another receiver that, you know, retroactively the models really liked. So we have open score, catch score, and yak score. And then we do, do our overall score. We saw earlier A.J. Brown at the, the best in the league. How, how do we weigh those, those three components in order to get to the, the, the overall score? Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a tough problem. Um, and we, do, it, we weight all those factors differently for, for different positions. Um, initially, it was different between receivers and tight ends. Or slightly, the mix was slightly different, but it's very, very different for running backs. So we have RTMs for, for running backs as well. Um, it, it was it was a tough question, like how do you you know yards uh, above expected in yak you know the units are in yards the other units for the other metrics the you know the open the catch score were kind of like this residual catch probability uh, type thing so uh, the, the units there's unit mismatch um, so how, how do we how do we weight these things in terms of how important each factor is in terms of overall performance of a production of a receiver? So ultimately, I, I touched on this earlier. Uh, what we did was we targeted, we benchmarked yards per route run, which I think probably agree is the best conventional statistic for kind of grading out how well a receiver did in, in a given season. And so based on how well each of the components correlated with yards per route run became the proportion uh, in, the, in the final overall uh, roll-up. This is a tangent, but can I talk about the rookie wide receivers for a second? Yeah, well, I, my next question was going to be, uh, what, what was your, what, you know, besides the, the Seahawks and, and Broncos receivers, what was kind of your, your favorite storyline that we learned? That's a RTMs? great question. Let me talk about the rookie wide receivers. <laughs> um, I think what was really cool about these metrics if you look at if you look at the output and it's publicly available, it's on 538. We'll, we'll, Spoiler alert! We'll, we'll show the link and, and you can you can look at it. You can look at past seasons, combined seasons. Um, we're happy that it's that's all out there, so you can just see the results. Uh, what's interesting is like you, you tend to get a lot of a lot of the star players are all up there at the top. It like may, may, has that like face validity. I think that that matches what we think. But of course, there's going to be cases uh, that surprise us. To me, the thing, I think we know all these players are good, but Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, George Pickens, Christian Watson, um, all of them were in the top 21, I think, in overall score. Especially Olave and Wilson. You look at them, they had like 1,000 a, a yards or so each, which is good like for a rookie wide receiver. But what these metrics are telling us are on a play-to-play -play basis, critically accounting for the quarterback that they are playing with, uh, these are some of the best receivers in the NFL, particularly Olave, who is in, who is in the top 10. And so Olave's running these routes, playing with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton, and uh, maybe there was a Taysom Hill pass in there, who knows. <laughs> uh, but, like, 
it's really hard to take a receiver and say, like, this guy is great when and, and feel really confident about it when he's playing with such quarterback play, with such poor quarterback play. And I think we can have that that thing. I think it's like we know that rookie receiver class was good, but it, it was seriously injected talent into the position. Uh, and and this this I think helped uh, helped us figure that out. I think about the yeah the, the all four playing with bad quarterbacks, depending on what you think of Aaron Rodgers. So. <laughs> Some years better than others. So one of the, um, the key things about RTMs is, you know, all these, these metrics that we've put together over the years is we've basically only served them up through Seth's articles, through show, you know, graphics on shows and, and telling stories that way. Um, but what we really wanted to do was make more of them available to fans uh, to be able to kind of dig around in the, in the data and find their own stories. So, uh, you know, when Brian was, was, was working on this and in the, in the late stages, we reached out and ended up partnering with our, our friends at 538, uh, who are actually part of ABC News, so they're part of the, the broader Disney family. Uh, and as, you know, for those of you who follow 538, they've got fantastic data visualizations and, and landing pages and stuff. So we worked with them to, to build out a you know, really cool visual data viz landing page that you can, you can uh, get with the uh, handy QR code. Um, and you know, this is something that we're, we're hoping to do more of uh, with our, our different metrics and finding ways to, to make them more available to, to fans and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I like using them you like using them or building them, and uh, I think I think our goal is you know we want we we hope we want people to be able to use these to help analyze football just you know just the way that just the way that we do that teams do that 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 everybody wants to I, I think yeah you can also follow uh, Seth and Brian on Twitter they, uh, <laughs> they 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 like to drop in their 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 favorite notes yeah using these metrics so the, like the the public facing aspect to the these. Um, metrics are a little more challenging than, say, like our win rates. One of the great things about win rates was that <clears throat> Seth, named, Seth came up with the name, and we were like, what do we name this? And we wanted to avoid saying, like, oh, like uh, uh, offensive lineman rating or grade. or whatever. We didn't want to imply that this was like the end-all, be-all say on um, how good uh, alignment was or pass rusher was. We're, we're just advertising what this is. This is like the percent of time that these players can sustain a block or beat a block by 2.5 seconds. And that, the, the, there's no other implication about how good or bad a, a player might be. Um, and so it's, it's like an average, like a batting average like, or an ERA, like what um, like, uh, John Gruden was asking for. And then, um, but for this, it, it was the, the units were very, very complicated. And then, in order to combine them, you have to normalize them into these z-score things. And uh, you, you, the average ESPN fan is already kind of checked out. And <laughs> you know, well, well, we use z-scores, right? And they're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and so, one of the things we had to do is make sure it was digestible by by a fan. And we want to keep things fun and entertaining. So that's, you know, we, we convert things into a um, the zero to ninety-nine score, a lot like our a lot like our, our QBR metric, which was which which was successful. So um, you know, if I were if we were doing this for a team, if we we're doing doing this, we had different use cases for this kind of analysis. Maybe we don't do that. We have a more sophisticated, you know, final number, final set of set of units. 
at the end of the day. But, but for, for our purposes, for ESPN fans, it was quite convenient just to go to the, the 0 to 99 scale. The, the one thing that happened there is that Debo Samuel broke the yak because he's, <laughs> yeah. there's no one like him. So, yeah, last uh, 2021's Debo yak year was so incredible that it would, he would be the 99, that, his, that season would be the 99, and then like, the next best season would be like a 60. Like we would never, <laughs> it, it just didn't work. So, yeah, at the end of the day, the, the kind of the scales are clipped. So if somebody's a 99, it could be that they're like a 105, you know, actually, but... But yeah, we keep, try to keep things a little bit, a little bit simpler. All right, one last question, Brian, before we get into the questions, which, by the way, lots of really good questions. So uh, look forward to those. But now we've got RTMs out there. What's, uh, what, what's next on your, on your uh, hit list? Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot like the CPOE metric, it's very tempting to just kind of flip this around and say, okay, who is the nearest defender on this play and do, do the very same analysis on that and then credit or debit the defender with the, with the outcome, the residual outcome, over expected or predicted. But I, I've tried that and it's, it's just not good enough yet. The, the, the distribution of kind of blame or fault or credit on the defense, especially in a zone coverage, it just isn't immediately clear. It doesn't fall on the shoulders of just the closest defender. So it's gonna take a whole lot more work. So when we check in in five more years and you ask me what I've been doing with my time, <laughs> uh, that'll, that'll be that. All right, we'll move on to uh, some questions from the audience. Is there any data you wish you had that you could include in RTM to make it better? Or is there something that wasn't included in the first version that could be in future versions? So apparently this person's asking you to, or you know, your next project is to iterate on what we already have. Uh, okay, so the, I'll just, I, what I wish I had was the progression, like the play. So we know the routes, yeah. and we kind of generally understand the, like the route concept, like what this play is supposed to be. But what the progression the quarterback is supposed to go through in terms of reads, um, it, it, it isn't immediately clear. Uh, so um, you, you can in, infer that a little bit. Uh, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a QB coach, or co you know, it's, it's a little bit beyond me to, to be able to do that. Um, and it's certainly difficult to kind of teach a computer to be able to kind of recognize those things. So um, that's what I wish I had. That would really improve because uh, then then we would know like when exactly when to to grade out a receiver on like say open score. It might not be. 0.2 seconds before pass release, it may be, you know, maybe, you know, a fraction of a second uh, before that, a fraction of a second after that. What about uh, z-axis? Z oh, like, like up and down. Up yeah. and down. Yeah. So we, you know, with the with the with the dots, with the NGS player tracking stuff, there's, you know, it, it's a it's a flat world, so we don't we don't see the, the z-axis, so we can't tell if a receiver's see, like jumping. Right. That, so we augment it with, a, with our video um, charting data uh, for like, you know, the pass accuracies and things like that, including uh, drops. So we, yeah. you know, we can tell a drop, but yeah, if, you know, if we had a full 3D um, kind of tracking, uh, that, would be, that would be pretty cool. It's much more to difficult to reach peak performance, say, you know, down four, two minutes left in a game. Is there any contextualization of time and score, like, you know, a, a pressure element to this? No, no, no. It, uh, does, the, the contextual information is play specific. It, it does include um, field position, 
but it does not include, you know, like some sort of like uh, game level leverage kind of games on the line kind of stuff. It, it's it's agnostic to those considerations. How do you contextualize teammates' influence on a on a pass block win rate or you know receivers getting open? Uh, th that's a really good question. It's something we probably should have mentioned earlier. So uh, rece different receivers attract different amounts of attention from the coverage. Uh, so part of the part of the open component is uh, sort of a uh, sort of a gravity concept about how how well or how often I should say a receiver draws multiple defenders within a certain threshold. Uh, so. Um, they're, they're sort of given extra credit uh, when that happens. And then at, conversely, if you're not drawing extra attention very often from a defense, then you're, you're, you're not getting that credit, which effectively kind of suppresses, suppresses the, the open score metric. And this was, it was a big thing with the, the pass rush win rates. Yeah. And questioner actually even mentions Aaron Donald by name. But you know, a guy like Aaron Donald's getting doubled all the time, most of the time. And that, that is something that you take into account and give him that credit for. Yeah, let's give credit to the new king, Chris Jones, because he <laughs> was, he was, this year, Chris Jones was doubled as a playing defensive tackle this season more often than, at a higher rate than anyone else and had a higher win rate than anyone else. Donald had a higher win rate, but he, he didn't qualify because he got hurt. Um, but I think that double team component is really, it's, well, there's a few. There's a few things. It's really important. It's often a sign of alignment. So, I, I do think it's it's important contextual information when we look at the win rates. Say how how often were you doubled, or conversely, if you're a tackle, you know how much help are you getting from from the guard? Because they that can that can vary widely too. Like uh, Orlando Brown is a good tackle for the Chiefs. Uh, he's like. 16th, 18th in, in pass block win rate, but he gets almost no double team help. So they're sort of saying like, hey, we're putting you on an island. And, and I think that that is important. We don't have, one thing on my to-do list is like a, maybe like a strength adjusted, some sort of uh, win rate that adjusts for the situation, play action, rollouts, uh, and, then, and then teammate help. The other thing that I think I often look at, I just sort of eyeball, but I don't have, we don't have help, is like if you're surrounded by good players on the offensive line, even if you're even beyond double teams, I do think there is an effect there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of just hypothesizing, but I think about like Ethan po Pochich, I never, never know how to say his name, Brown center uh, who, you know, comes into a situation where the Browns have a good offensive line, two good uh, guards on either side of him. He has a, and he, he plays really well, better than he's played in the past. And I think he probably played well, but he, but he probably, it's probably pretty good when you've got two guys on, on either side of you that are, that are very good as well. Yeah, Browns have a good uh, O-line coach too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for yards after the catch, how do you contextualize the defense uh, to determine the expected yak? So the expected yak is uh, based on just the dots and the accuracy of the throw. And so the, so the, the context is, is the, the dots themselves. So it's, it's not just the X and Y locations at the time of the catch, but it is the locations of any potential downfield blockers. It's their, their relative speeds directions and so on. So once the ball has arrived, basically the, the, 
you know, the coherence of any kind of coverage structure is, is broken down and the defenders are converging on the, on the ball carrier. So at that point, it, it seemed pretty clear that, you know, the context that, you know, it was kind of screaming at us that that's the context. It's, it's where the defenders are, where any blockers are, what directions are they going, what their, what their relative speeds are. Gave the Mahomes um, example about helping get his receivers open. Are there any other, um, I guess, factors in that, like that are considered with like general like coaching and helping, you know, in schemes that might be more likely to get receivers open? I mean, absolutely. Just like the Patriots, yeah. the guys are always open. <laughs> absolutely. Um, the. Uh, but that, it's it's almost impossible to separate from uh, scheme, separate scheme from quarterback, right? Because quarterbacks are consistently kind of in this in the same scheme. There's just not enough, you know, uh, data, uh, not enough mixed data, where you're, you're you know you, we we can't perform controlled experiments where we take you know Mahomes out of Andy Reid's scheme and and put him into a McVeigh scheme or put him into Baltimore scheme or anything like that. So it, until we can do that, um, unfortunately, we're just kind of we're just kind of left with uh, with with what we have. We are including like in the general context that Brian talked about before. We are including the route the receiver's running and the coverage that you're facing. But that is just so that's something, but it's just a sliver of like, I think what we would call scheme. And we would be naive to think that scheme doesn't, doesn't play a I mean, like role. it does account for scheme in terms of like, well, this scheme involves a whole lot of screen passes. And so, you know, it's recognizing that this is right. a screen pass. It, it can see, you know, where the, the X's and Y's are. It knows, you know, or, or if, hey, this, is, this scheme involves a lot of downfield passing, it, you know. So it does account for that on a play level, but there's no sort of variable in the, in the overall model that's like, is Andy Reid, you know, you know, true, false, so. Here's a good one. How is RTM as a predictive metric? And then are, are some components more predictive than others? I know, Seth, you, you love turning these into uh, predictive metrics. Yeah, we haven't, I think what I would say unless Brian corrects me, is like the question, the answer to this question is TBD still largely. I think what we know is that open score is the most stable of the three metrics, which I think makes sense. Um, uh, open score, then catch score, then yak score in that order. Am I right about that? Yeah, in yeah. terms of consistency. Yeah. In, terms of, in terms of consistency. So that's predicting itself, not necessarily predicting you know, yards per route run or receiving yards. Um, I think the short answer is we still have work to do to yeah. find out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's fun. So, you know, you, you, you build a metric like this and then you can go harvest it. But I can answer the question in terms of just predictiveness overall. It, it definitely will be predictive of certain things. Hey, you're, you know, your fantasy lineups or who's gonna break out next year maybe, um, things like that. So, um, you know, w when you do build metrics like this, you have to test whether they're really telling you anything kind of consistently and structurally. Is this, is this a, um, something systematic you're actually detecting? And one of the things you do is you examine the correlation of a metric from year to year at the player level. And so if you're really measuring something quantifiable and systematic about a player talent level or, or production level, 
then it's going to correlate. It'll travel with the player. It'll travel from year to year. It'll travel from team to team uh, when he changes teams. And the open metric is, is quite consistent. It's about as consistent as batting averages in baseball, which is, I think we all agree is, is, is fairly indicative of a batter skill. Um, and then uh, next most is uh, catch, and then, and then yak. Other way around, yak, then catch. I thought it was catch than yak, but yeah, I think I think I was right the first time. Catch than yak, yeah. So Seth, like you have turned the pass rush win rates into somewhat of a predictive stat. You, yeah. you predicted sacks and so forth. Can you just give a you know just a little background on how you've made that? that connection? Oh, yeah. So for, for the win rates, we certainly know that they're, they're predictive. Players hold their pass, like if we think about pass block win rate, they hold that skill pretty, that's pretty stable from year to year. Um, and so certainly like things I've done in the past have been like predicting a team's win rate based on the players that they have. So that can sort of account for uh, if, you know, they're bringing a new tackle. And then, yeah, I like kind of went down a rabbit hole trying to predict sacks, <laughs> uh, which I mentioned are like a QB sack, but I'm lying because uh, it's, it's like 60% it's like of quarterback stat or something. But like obviously the quarterback, the uh, offensive line, the, the pass rusher, they all play roles as does the situation. Like if you're winning, uh, you're going to be more likely to get a sack. If it's third and 10 and the opponent is down seven and it, there's four minutes left, you force them into a desperate situation. So they have to, they have to throw try and run a deep play or something like that. That's when the sacks come. You put all those things together and we can, we can, start, to, we can start to predict sacks. And, and yeah, for, for pass rushers themselves, we certainly see that their ability to beat blockers within two and a half seconds is indicative of their future ability to get sacks. Though, I also believe that the win rate is essentially like the first half of a pass rush, and then finishing the sack is, is a second half. There is a second skill there. There are players like Khalil Mack, who is, doesn't win that often initially, but often finishes yeah, when the he sack. does, it's brutal. Yeah. And then Jadevian Clowney is someone who wins often early, but very rarely is able to finish that play. I think those two things are often a player has both, uh, but it's, it's certainly possible you have one or the other. All right, last question. Do any route types tend to have higher scores in any of these components? Does that factor into the model know. at all? I don't know, but they, sh they, they shouldn't. They should, yeah, they shouldn't. <laughs> so we're, we're accounting, we're trying to account for that in, in the metric, but um, that's a good question, and I, can't, I don't think I can. What I will say is, like, uh, if this is independent of RTMs, but I certainly like looking at routes versus coverage types because we can see patterns there. Uh, and, like, if you think about, like, a go route, for example, is much better against cover one or cover three than uh, cover two or cover four, something like that. Uh, and go routes, I know, are one of the most inefficient routes in terms of yards per route run, whereas, uh, like, uh, deep crosses... Uh, or are, are probably the most efficient. Deep crosses, deep outs, slices, digs, those are like the most efficient routes. Probably, yeah, the, the routes that you run play action with, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. That is cool. it. Cool. We are done. All Thank right. you. Thank you all. Thank you. <laughs>